Rock and roll is here to stay. It will never die. I just had myself a big piece of pizza pie. Is that the Ramones? Rock and roll is here to stay. I ate pizza pie today. Is that a commercial? Mad about, mad about you is here to stay. It is on TV. Is that the Ramones or DiGiorno? TV, I mean a podcast. Podcast for you and me. John saying something. I don't know what. John saying something. I don't know what. Is that the Ramones? No. (laughs) Not literally, but the tune? Well, great question. Um, Oh, boy. I didn't know the answer was going to start with an um. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. It's not, but it also is. Oh, it is, right? It sounds familiar. Well, look, it's rock and roll will here to stay is here to stay is older than the Ramones. I think it's from the 50s. Oh, is it that stupid slash I love it? Is that the same tune that like Horatio Sands? No. Oh, the Christmas Christmas time is here. Right. Christmas time. No. Huh. It's it's like that, but the thing is, like it's like it. What I just sang is "Rock and Roll is Here to Stay" is an oldie, right? Not by the Ramones, but also it's the same chord progression and a similar melody to every single Ramones song. Oh, is it GCE? I don't know about that, but it's the same. Like they're all the same. Like Ramones songs are all very very similar. Oh yeah, well yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. This isn't my hot take on the Ramones. <laughs> it's kind of the point. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to uh, talk about hi it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mad About Mad About You, your weekly Mad About You recap podcast. My name is Russ Fader. And my name is John Marbley. John, are you well? I'm fine. Good. How are you? I'm living the dream, baby. Yeah. Getting it done. Russ is doing this from his convertible. <laughs> Rock and roll is <laughs> Christmas time is here. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got nothing to share. Nothing. I don't have anything to share either. It's been, let's say, it's been a it's been a quick week. Yeah, it sure has. Oh, <laughs> so, you know what we should... What's up? Well, listeners, there's... Uh, but Russ and I... Well, I don't know about Russ. I'm going to be going on a lot of traveling for a little while. Right. So there's going to be a couple mini-sodes coming your way for uh, yeah. like two weeks maybe. Yeah. So we're this time we're giving what? Oh boy, we must be getting our podcast in order, Russ. If we are giving people notice now, <laughs> yeah, of programming interruptions. You're welcome, rise guys and rise gals. <laughs> yeah. But you got a couple. Uh, we don't know what they're going to be yet, but you got a couple oddballs to look forward to. Yeah, they're going to be fun. Yeah, this would also be a great time to revisit some of those old favorites, classics. But also, we're not taking a long time. We're not taking time off. They're just, no. you know, we'll be, and also it's like two mini sods, and then we'll be back with the normal ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and also, I have a one from the corrections department. Oh. Based on last week's episode. Oh. The daughter who played Claire on Six Feet Under, and who Lauren was Ambrose. also in Can't Hardly Wait, is named Lauren Ambrose. Did I say Jennifer? Yes. You did say Jennifer. You. So you have a correction for me. <laughs> <laughs> for us, for us, because look, you're right. But my I answer screw, I for what it. my answer for what her name was was I don't know. Well, your answer was that girl from Six Feet Under, which 
right. is more accurate than Jennifer Ambrose. That's true. <laughs> you know what? That's true. That's what I get for trying to be specific. In your defense, John, I did ask you for her name, and the best thing you could do with the name is be specific. I I could have said, I don't know would have been more accurate. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's what I said, uh, and I'm I nailed guilty. my answer. I find myself guilty. <laughs> okay. Uh, absolved. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. I have that kind of power. <laughs> this is Mad About You. I say it wrong every time. You do? This is the 42nd episode of Mad About, Mad About You. Oh, okay. And it is season two, episode 20 of Mad About You. And this episode is called The Last Scampy. Is that a reference to anything? I don't think Doesn't it so. feel like it is? It does, but we get suckered in by that often. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. They use... I don't know how to describe that lore, but they sure use yeah. a good one with those titles. It sounds <laughs> like it could be. Yeah, we swim towards also... it every time. Is that a reference? Hey, is that yeah. a reference? Oh. Yeah, and and like I said, it's just like the last blank is a common right. A common That's a phrase. name structure. The last chapter. The last. <laughs> the yeah, last it's, meal. It's a reference. You know to those the time two. You read. <laughs> It's a reference to the time you read the last chapter of a book, except instead of the last chapter, it's called The Last Scampy. We hope this helped. The Last Nugget. <laughs> it was, did you say what it aired? April 7, 1994? I did not say April 7, 1994. A happy month? birthday, Eric Fader. Oh, happy birthday, Eric. A month after the last one. Yeah. So they've Which taken was... two months off in a row. Yeah. Last week's episode that we covered here was in the middle of March. It was like March 10th, I think. Yeah, we went from Valentine's Day to March 10th to April 7th. Isn't that crazy? What's going on? That's a good question that I, w I should know the answer to. Uh, yeah, this is your field. Was it the yes, Olympics? It well, the last time it was the Olympics. Oh, right. <laughs> Maybe they got it wrong and they didn't realize they... It's not month-long <laughs> Olympics. To, they meant but to yeah. skip February. I know you've got better internet access than me. Okay. Go to tvtango.com real quick. Oh, sure. Please, of course. Is that a reference to anything? Tango <laughs> yeah, and Gash? Dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the old TV database guide is a reference to the movie Tango and Cash. <laughs> now what do I do? On the right, you'll see something that's like, hey, go back in time 10 years. See what was on TV 10 years ago today. Today in TV history. That's it. Click on that. Oh, uh, wait. This is all like important things. Click on the top thing. It says today in TV history, December 15th. And it says, oh, 11 years ago. Yes, click on that. Oh, and then I can futz with it. Yes. Okay. Let's assume March was busy, right? Because we waited until April. What, put in April 7th, 1994. You did this part, though, didn't you? Yes. So you know where and this then, is going. Well, I know what happens on April 7th, but then there's a week back button. Boy, I feel like I'm uh, at a training yeah. seminar at work. Yeah, <laughs> I'm at... I, Did everyone uh, find that week back button? That makes me sad because I thought that you were going to say, I feel like I'm a spy and Russ, you're in the van telling me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, what am I looking for? Just like... I have anything... eyes on an hour-long Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> Is that... Is there anything big happening that is definitely there any not event that television? week? Oh wait, why does it say? Oh no, that's okay. Not that week. I got the Birds of Paradise. 
Mad okay, about you, yeah, repeat. We, Seinfeld, we, repeat. Wings, repeat. New Frasier. I guess it's just time off then. I thought that maybe there was some event that was... I assumed too. I, I Taking them away. Great. The week before that, NBC all repeats up until LA Law at 10. Maybe they're phoning it in. Maybe they didn't want to get in the way of the juggernaut that is Birds of Paradise. Well, I was going to say there are February sweeps, which is a thing. But there weren't February sweeps. Because the Olympics? The Olympics. I don't know. Something's up. Something's up, Johnny. The week before that, they had a new Seinfeld and a new Frasier, but repeats of Mad About You and the Mommies. This is interesting. I didn't realize how scattershot programming was back then. I thought it was just sort of like very predictable. Yeah. And no, then now it was throw, scattershot. It's always been a they'll, mess. They'll throw anything on any time, I guess. Yeah. Boy, Madlock was still on TV in primetime? I think they're specials. But, you know, no, I think actually oh, the answer may just be yes. That's amazing. That show feels so old to me. I love yeah. Matlock, though. Well, I think I loved it as a kid. I don't know if I love it. Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's move on. <laughs> we don't know why they took so much time off. We don't. But here's what I can tell you about the episode. What's that? What happened in TV Guide? What they have to say? Well, it's a long one. That's not good. No, it's not. Everyone, uh, refill your coffee. <laughs> get comfortable. Curl up in bed. Yeah. Curl up with a TV Guide. Jamie and Paul refuse to take sides regarding an incident between their moms. Well, Murray has mother problems of his own. I mean, look, there should be no wiles, you know, there should be no semicolons in the recap biz, I think. I agree. But for this episode, which is basically two separate... <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird. Two separate things jammed together. They, well, they're not this separate, they're covers related. Both of them. Yes, but you need to talk about both of them if you want to talk about this episode. You sure don't. It's, you don't think so? No. You don't find out about the Murray thing. Spoiler alert. Well, it's not a spoiler alert. It's in the description. You don't find out yeah. about it till the end. You, I think you're wrong. So, I think you find out about that about two-thirds of the way through the episode. I would say four-fifths. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard anyone sarcastically consider a fraction. <laughs> I think we've got a real five-eighths on our hands, John. What was the first one you said? Two-thirds? I don't know. I think we're <laughs> four, six, said two thirds. Yes. Oh well, no. Yeah, I think you went a little lower than your first one. Oh, I guess I'm an idiot then. <laughs> Sweepstakes is five eighths greater than or less than two thirds. <laughs> right in. We'll give first one to answer correctly gets three thousand of John's dollars, <laughs> or a fraction thereof. <laughs> it's Boy, a long oh one. I don't love it. What are you going to do? They can't win them all. You cannot win them all. Also, it's weird to see moms. Like, Murray has mother problems, but Paula Jamie have mom problems. <laughs> That's a good point. It's weird. Oh, man. Love it. Hey, Russ. Yes, sir. Is there anything on TV besides this stupid show, Mad About You? You're watching NBC. Well, if you have to. If you've got to watch something else, John, here's what you're going to watch. It's a show, and it is on television. CBS, thoughts up. It's a show on CBS. It's on at 8 o'clock on Thursday night, and it is called Christy. Oh, that's a new one, huh? It is a new one. It is based on the novel Christy by Catherine Marshall. Oh, uh -huh. never heard of it. It is inspired by the experiences of the author's mother. It's a period piece, like I said. The show starred Kelly Martin. Who's that? She was on Life Goes On. What's that? 
<laughs> I've heard life of it. Go- I've just life I don't know goes if I've on seen was it. a show in the late eighties with was his name Chris Burke, who played Corky, the actor and the character both had Down syndrome. Yes, I remember Corky. Wait, that was yes. Life Goes On. That was Life Goes On. Oh, I got that mixed up with Facts of Life. Different show. Weren't they both in like girls' homes? No. Were either life in goes- girls' homes? Facts of Life was in a girls' home. Life Goes On was just in a house with girls. Wasn't that the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> you mean they're related and life goes on if you say no yes. to that then i'm gonna lose my mind <laughs> no the answer is yes okay thank they're god fam- life goes on involves a family <laughs> right okay of girls with some girls not genetically of course but through their uh close ties <laughs> they become a family <laughs> Oh my god. Facts of life though is about a bunch of girls who live together and don't know each other. <laughs> oh, you are exhausting. I love you so. <laughs> Kelly Martin, you also know from ER. Oh, who is she on ER? Oh, is she Lucy? Yes. Ah, uh, she's a junkie. I... Right? What'd you say? No, she doesn't become a junkie. She gets stabbed. Oh, she gets to stabbed death. to death. So that she could do Christy? Christy? <laughs> <laughs> Christy? Is that why? Christy. Did yes. they stab her to death so she could do Christy? I don't think so. I'm looking up the sequence. But maybe. I think she was on... I think ER was after Christy. Oh, I think you're right. Because it's still 1994. Yeah, that's ER right. Just ER isn't even a thing yet. No, no, it is. It couldn't be. It would be on Thursdays. Oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> E-gads. I, I, I always thought it was 1994. Oh, Wow. I always thought it premiered at the same time as Friends, but I guess it didn't. It did. Friends isn't on yet. Yes, it is. Are you sure? No, Friends is on Thursdays. Oh, it's not. Oh, they all premiere in the fall of 94. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Oh, boy, do we. Oh, Must See TV is about to forever change. Yeah. I'm like, Friends can't be on because. We would have talked about it. David Schwimmer. First of all, we would have talked about it. And two, David Schwimmer is still doing that show with Henry Winkler that we talked about. Oh, yes, I forgot. Yeah. Christy looks very boring, Russ. Well, it's... <laughs> it looks like Little about, House on the Prairie. It's kind of Little House. Meets Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> yeah. It takes place in the Appalachian village of Cutter Gap, Tennessee in 1912. Strength, determination, and faith guide young Christy Huddleston. You know what's sad? What's that? I can't even begin to fathom... A show with that description airing anywhere today whose strength, determination, and faith in 1912. ABC Family. Unless she has a heroin problem. No, they won't even. No. Are you kidding me? No. (laughs) No. A show like this would never exist now. Does not exist now. Well, John. I'm going to tell you something. Okay. I watched, a, a, I, watched a, <laughs> I watched a very little bit of Christy today. It's boring, right? Yeah, but I didn't hate it. Fascinating. It is beautiful to look at. Really? Yes, because it's a period piece, and it's in the South, and everything that they shot for this episode is outside, and the whole show apparently takes place when the sun is going up, or when the ah, sun is going down. Magic hour. They know what looks good. Right. And so, yeah, they're saying nice things and they're talking about relationships and 
love and this, that, and the other thing. And it's soothing as all get out. And also, here's something about this show. Co-starring beside Kelly Martin was Tyne Daly. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And Tyne Daly won an Emmy for her work on this show. Wow. Two seasons. She gets an Emmy out of it. Good for yeah. her. Yeah. I mean, Tyne Daly's great. Oh, she's a very good actress. Yeah. LeVar Burton showed up in season two. Really? He joined the cast. Yep. Wait, that's the Reading Rainbow? Yes. Aww. The show developed a loyal following among readers of the novel and families, though it struggled in the ratings, as it came on in a period of two years where CBS lost strong affiliates to Fox due to NFL football rights Ugh. and issues that CBS had built up years before. Ah. Ain't it always the way? Steven Root, one episode. <laughs> oh, is he really in this? Oh, great. Yeah. I got it. I gotta track that down. Yeah, He's go the best. for it. He plays a character named Clarence Sweetwater. Fantastic. Yeah. He's so good. So here's something. There's a festival. <sighs> no. There is an annual festival no. called Christie Fest. No. Dedicated to Christie, the novel, the television series, and movies. That's right, there's movies. So the Christie universe. The, the Christie verse, yes. The Christie verse, yeah. <laughs> It's held every year in Townsend, Tennessee. Oh, which my is also private. Gosh. It's home to a private nonprofit museum called Great Smoky Mountains Heritage Center. And oh, uh, yeah, taking Russ. place during the summer. It is a gathering of those dedicated to the preservation of Christie and Southern Appalachian culture. Their latest tweet from just a few days ago says, "A reminder that Gilead Publishing is sponsoring a Christie Facebook party tomorrow." Great. This is amazing. They have 121 followers on Twitter. Guess what? 122. <laughs> this is mad very about, funny. Mad about you field trip. There, another tweet. We're going to Tennessee. <laughs> I will go to this in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. It would be beautiful. We'd have a really good time, John. Uh, we would. On the road. Yeah. Like uh, Conan. When Conan used to go on the road, it'll be just like <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think of when you think of going on the road. Or Regis. <laughs> or Re Oh, you are a wonder. Uh, uh, <laughs> listen to their third to last tweet. It's the most judgmental joke I've ever read. They're sharing a story from their local news affiliate, I think, that just says, a possum breaks into liquor store, gets drunk, officials say. And the tweet just says, drunken pigs, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Uh, wow. Shame those possums. Yeah. Wow. 50th anniversary of Christie. That means this this year's festival is going to be crazy, I think. It's going to be off the hook. Yeah. I want to go to this. Yes, 100%. Okay, we'll we'll put a pin in it. Talk about it off the air. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, Russ, what are you doing on your vacation? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Christie Fest. I have this podcast. <laughs> Russ, kudos to you. This is maybe one of my favorite finds Wonderful. from your segment ever. This is great. Yeah. Oh. Well, hooray. I love Kelly Martin. Oh, also. I think it might be over. Who's Kelly Martin again? Christy. Oh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the tweet, the tweet truncated their full post. Which said, drunken pigs in Christy. Now we have a drunken possum in Florida. Oh, that sounds more judgmental, actually. <laughs> Was the pigs about people? Oh, man. I want to know everything. We'll find out. We'll find out together. And oh, we will man. see you there, Rise Guys and Rise Gals. A Facebook Live party means it would have been over Facebook. We could have gone. 
Yeah. All right, let's move on. No, keep talking. What do you want? What else do you want to say about this show? No, that's Christy, man. That's it, Christy. It was uh, created by Patricia Green. Yes. Who worked on a lot of like some of my grandma's favorite shows, like Scarecrow and Mrs. King. <laughs> Great. She was a story consultant on Scarecrow and Mrs. King. She's like, that's not a murder. This is a murder. <laughs> what and did I see? What did LA I see? Law, oh. executive producer, 36 episodes. That's a switch. Yeah. Oh, here we go. In 2000, the family-friendly network PAX TV produced three made-for-TV movies based on unresolved stories from the novel and original CBS series in response to demand from loyal fans, though Kelly Martin did not return as Christy, with Lauren Lee Smith taking over the role. Whoa! It's like James Bond? Yep! It's exactly like James Bond. Yes. My favorite Christy was Pierce Brosnan. See, he was supposed to play Christy, but then Remington Steele... <laughs> got picked up and so he had to wait until later and then it just wasn't as good <laughs> great find oh yeah the show began airing on gospel music channel in june 2009 with a later migration to insp which i do not know what that is wait what yep i thought you said it was like a tv movie or something it was no it was shows it was episodic Christy was episodic, and then they did TV movies after the end of the show run, and a two-part miniseries entitled Christy, Choices of the Heart, with part one being entitled Christy, A Change of Seasons, and part two entitled Christy, A New Beginning. That's cool, though. It's just a... Yeah. She's just a tough, defiant, leading woman. Yeah. I'm telling you, I did not hate this. Listen, TV shows, people make great TV. Yeah. It's nice to see something uplifting for once instead of the trash we see on television that's constantly poisoning people's minds and hearts. I'll tell you, it felt... (laughs) Man. I'm only half kidding. It felt a lot like Return to Lonesome Dove. Oh, your favorites. (laughs) Which I'm just like, again, I'm just like, ooh. Oh. When we cover season four of Mad About About You, it's just going to be like, well, John is living who knows where, and Russ has moved to Oklahoma. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, your taste is outdating me, I think, (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, Russ, I may like Jackie Mason, but you don't like electricity. I love Jackie Mason. What in the world was on, what was in the news, John? WNBC-TV, this is News 4 New York with Chuck Scarborough. Oh, baby, what wasn't? Uh, Dateline. Let's start with what was. Dateline. (laughs) Go ahead. Rabbi's followers and fight at hospital. Last week, we checked in with Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. This is a new segment on our show, I guess. And he's still in the hospital. And it says, this article says, as you all might remember, assuming you're listening to these in order, who knows? He's the head of the Lubavitch branch of Hasidic Jews in Crown Heights who believe that he's the Messiah. And they all have beepers to let them know if he becomes the Messiah. And also they were all at the hospital. Not they all, but, you know, a bunch of them came to to maybe witness, I don't know, the transformation or to at least be up to date. So they're still there. It's, a, still it's a thing now. Yeah, this is a week. A month later. Oh, this is a month later. You're right. This is a month later. <laughs> it says, outside of the hospital room. With, also, that's a long check-in. Poor guy. Outside the hospital room where the spiritual leader of the Lubavitch Hasidic sect has hovered near death for three weeks, a brawl broke out last night among his followers over who would be permitted to pay a Passover visit to their grand rabbi. 
Three men were arrested at Beth Israel Medical Center and charged with misdemeanor assaults, and a fourth man required stitches to close a cut over his left eye. The 92-year-old Lubavitch leader, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, who is regarded by many of his followers as the Messiah, has been in critical condition uh, since suffering a stroke on March 10th. Yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> this is where it gets really weird. The three men who were arrested, you know, the New York Times pensioned for... <laughs> no addresses, exactly though. where these people live. No addresses. So the two men arrested... Hang on a second. Is this going to be weird because it's like the beginning of Magnolia and one guy is going to be named Menachem, the other guy is going to be named Mendel, and the last guy is going to be named Schneerson? Uh, oh, Russ. That is the weirdest... I don't know. I don't know if anyone has referenced Magnolia and meant that part of the movie. That part? <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> oh, is this going to be like that scuba diver scene from Magnolia? You know, the one that's eight seconds long at the very beginning. You know who played that scuba diver? Paul F. Tompkins? Patton Oswalt. Oh, that's right. Paul F. Tompkins is the uh, card dealer, isn't he? Nope. That's also Patton Oswalt. Okay. Isn't Paul F. Tompkins in Magnolia at some point? He's on the phone. Oh, his voice? Yep. Oh, is he the uh, store clerk that Philip Seymour Hoffman orders from? I believe so, yes. He deals with Philip Seymour Hoffman on the phone, yes. Gotcha. I'm not sure if he's the... I don't think he's the clerk. I think he's trying to get Frank T.J. Mackey on the phone. Uh, for those who don't know, Magnolia is uh, one of Russ and my's favorite movies. Yes. We'll have to do a 12-hour uh, podcast of certain products. I can't think of anything that I would like to do more. After Mad About You, I would do a whole, I would do however many episodes it takes to do Magnolia, like 10 minutes at a, a time. Do you want to do a minute by minute? That's a popular thing these days, by the way. That's a thing now? Like a thing thing? Yeah. The Isn't Star it Wars funny? Minute, Recap Star Wars ones Minute, are? Back to the Future Minute, where, yeah, they, they'll talk for 30 to 40 minutes about one minute. What a world. Amazing. Of the movie. It's amazing that this is, this is a format that we copied, because this format exists, because it's just a format now. Yeah. It's as common as doing a talk show on TV. Like, it's so crazy to me. Basically. Anyway, the three men who were arrested. So one, his first name, Yankee Prager. Yankee. Y-A-N-K-I, right? 21 okay. years old. So on a whim, as I do, I Googled his name. Okay. Boy, oh boy. Oh boy. First thing that comes up, a YouTube video. The description says, Shmira slash cop. Leader Yakov Prager cursing at NYPD. I think Yakov and Yankee are, I think Yankee's a nickname. Oh, wait, that's a boring video. Who cares about that one? The one I'm looking for is much weirder. So the Shmira, as far as I can tell, do you know who they are, Russ? No. Man, did I, I got rid of the good video? Hold on, I got to find the good video. There's a kooky video. What's the guy's? Yankee Prager. So, wow, I just know his name now. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So the Shmira seem to be a group of Orthodox Jews in Crown Heights who are like civilian cops. Okay. They're like a volunteer neighborhood watch sort of. And I think they actually are tied in with the NYPD. Okay. So this YouTube video that has four, almost 4,000 views just says, Yankee Prager ranting and crying like a baby. Sunday, June 13, 2010. First Tamuts 5770. Election day in Crown Heights. And then in smaller text, it says, in fear and desperation that the Masrim are going to lo lost the election. The description, in fear and desperation that the Masrim are going to lost the election, Shmira Mazira, madman Yaakov Prager, confronts the Shamrim Hirschkop Volunteer Corps, who are standing outside 770 Eastern Parkway chatting among themselves. The angry and frustrated hate monger Yaakov Prager tries to initiate a confrontation with Shramrim Herkshop, which he does not get. 
As this was going on for about six minutes, his young son, also full of hate, gets involved as well. The video speaks for itself. Now, Russ, the yes. video is sound effects of a baby crying, like fake. Like, it's so, it's it feels like some kind of weird, passive-aggressive, like, avant like it's so weird now it's just like in, eh, 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 like oh that. my goodness now in his potential defense uh, sure yonki may not be an abbreviation for this gentleman's name so they may be no no no. this is yonki prager the other video i pulled up was a different name but this oh this is definitely this is yonki great yeah well then have at it rise also guys and rise it sounds this guy sounds like a, a rabble rouser there could be multiples, but this is the guy who was sure. arrested from the... And frankly, if we wind up talking about one guy and his name sounds like another guy's name, and then we talk about that guy, that's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, this isn't, this isn't 60 minutes. This is 120 minutes. <laughs> Listen to this. Okay, so I go I, I do a little more Googling of this guy. Okay. I find a website... And for those of you who have nothing to do tonight and really want to find a whole new universe on the internet, who is Shmira, S-H-M-I-R-A, dot WordPress, dot com. Dot WordPress. This sounds horrifying. Russ, the website is called C-H Leaks. I think a play on WikiLeaks. C-H stands for Crown Heights. Oh, my god! And it says exposing corruption and fraud in Crown Heights. And this guy... Oh, I guess it... Okay, so Yakov may be... Yakov may be a different guy, but it's just so weird because it's such similar, like, rhetoric between the Yankee Prager stuff and the Yakov Prager stuff. Yeah, that's the way... The rhetoric in these kind of subcultures is thick and pervasive. Right. There's a caption of him standing half-naked in his bedroom getting dressed. I don't know why... And I can't even read how kids are so dirty. And it's so mean. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's so mean. It says Yankee. I actually, part of this is a hate crime. Prager and his little bleep. Oh, my. <laughs> Click to make the picture bigger. So there's a whole world of Crown Heights leaks where one group of Jews detests another Just group of Jews another group. that live in the same small, not small, but like the same neighborhood in yeah. Brooklyn. Not great for the Jews. <laughs> when a Jew picks this up the segment. phone to master another Jew, his hand shakes and his mind does not let him from the words of the Masira. Who are all those so-called Jews whose hands do not shake and minds do not falter that can master any breakfast at the same time? Are they Jewish? I don't know. Anyway, I also don't know. I could spend all night looking at that, and I almost did. Dateline. <laughs> do, 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 do. Go ahead. <laughs> New Yorkers and Co. Rabbinical distinctions. I'm what else you got, John? Sorry. <laughs> but this is an article. This is an article about, I don't want to call it a racket, of course. But what's interesting is the article covers people who are sort of trying to take advantage of the whole like New York-specific industry of rabbis who assess kitchens for whether or not they're kosher. Okay. So, for example, there's a wedding going on at the, at the Regency Hotel or the Regency on Park Avenue. The executive chef is patiently assembling apple tarts, and the rabbi has come to call. A dark-eyed, soft-spoken former commune dweller who heads his own kosher supervision company, and he's inspecting the hotel's kitchen to ensure that a wedding scheduled here in a few weeks will meet the strict dietary laws. Great. Yada, yada, yada. Rabbi Finman senses that he has found an ally. What I hate as a rabbi, he confides to Mr. Ferret, the chef, is to come in and find the place filthy. But all your fancier high-end places know what to do. 
just in case he and his lone assistant travel with a satchel packed with rubber gloves, oven cleaner, and blowtorch. Holy moly. <laughs> this is no joke, right? Oh, it keeps going. The, oh, this is another quote from the chef and owner of Mana Catering. It's very complicated and very political. Oh, yeah, we'll burn our kitchen down. <laughs> yeah, at least make a little money. A minefield is as good a metaphor as you're going to get. This is so true, though. He's like, it's a loaded area because it combines religion, which is difficult all by itself, with a profit motive, which makes it very difficult. Sure. This is where it got. Fraud almost sounds likely. Uh, right. Oh, yeah. So it says you can charge more if it says kosher. Oh, it says a lot of people are interested because it's a profitable marketing niche. 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 Whatever. You can charge more if it says kosher. Up to four times more for a chicken at Passover. Yes. Yeah. I do remember people it's talking crazy. about that. I used to do a show called Soul Searching. Uh-huh. It was a Jewish rock opera. It performed off-Broadway. Uh-huh. For the people in the cast, they kept kosher. I remember them talking about just like kosher pizzerias jacking up their prices. Oh, my through gosh. The roof. And they were just like, because they know that they're the only game in town yeah. and you got to pay. It's so interesting. Oh, God. Uh, he remembers one food distributor that labeled its products as approved by, quote, rabbis who lived 100 years ago. Oh, and the butcher who slapped kosher stickers on Purdue chickens. <laughs> Can you believe that? One way you can get ahead, Mr. Lechner said, is by casting aspersions on other people's degree of kashrut, and it gets murky. Kashrut? I don't know how to say it. Uh, first way was right, I think. Oh, thank you. I mean, I could also be wrong. <laughs> anyway, interesting, interesting field of work. Had no idea. No Pretty idea. Good. Here's <laughs> what? Pretty good racket is right. Yeah, <laughs> I feel bad saying that, but uh, yeah, yeah. Dateline. Go ahead. Stolen Marilyn Monroe items recovered, mostly. This was a very interesting story. Another, like, if you guys want to fall down another K-hole, we'll have to tweet this one, maybe. I don't know if people are into Marilyn Monroe. Apparently, when Marilyn Monroe died, maybe people know this already, she bequeathed her belongings to Lee Strasberg, her acting teacher. Well, they were also married, I believe. I don't think so. Were they? I think they were. If they weren't married, they were in a relationship. Uh... I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think it was a close, like, collaborative relationship. Okay. I mean, everything I read about this story, and I'm Googling right now, and it doesn't like just... Like, you mean how sometimes when you... Sometimes you collaborate with someone in front of your friends and family and, and God <laughs> in a church or synagogue, and then, and then you collaborate on a dance floor for a few hours and have collaborative toasts and... Yeah, but no, not like that. <laughs> More like you do a scene in a, in a in front of a few people with the boxes, black boxes. <laughs> Everywhere I've looked, it says teacher. Okay. It doesn't say like teacher and former lover. Teacher, husband, Lee Strasberg. Yeah. <laughs> That's how good of a teacher he was. <laughs> so when he died, he left all of his stuff to his wife, Anna, Stras Anna Strasberg. And she kept all of Marilyn Monroe's, like, things in a Manhattan mini storage in Chelsea. And this guy, Jesus Great. Davila, stole it all one night. Oh, my gosh. And then it led to this mystery of whether or not he somehow stole and got away with the white dress that she wears in the seven-year itch that gets blown up by the subway grate. 
And I, there's a super long article on the, whole, the the entire case. But basically, it sounds like this guy had Read a storage it. locker. Wait. Start from the beginning. Okay. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I almost I almost did. So <laughs> watch yourself, pal. <laughs> this guy had like, a, I think he had a storage locker in the same Manhattan mini storage. And he just broke into hers and moved it into his. <laughs> Which is sort of brilliant. But I mean, of how does that not happen all of the time? And he'd already given a bunch of stuff away when they caught him. Wow. So they told everyone that he gave it to that they had till the end of the day to return. But like, Wait, he gave a bunch of stuff yeah, away? Yeah, he gave things away to like neighbors, friends. Like, it's super weird. It's a great little story. He broke into Marilyn Monroe's storage he locker. Kept so that he kept a lot of it, I think. I think he was going to sell it, probably. I would hope so. Or think, I would hope. Oh, gosh, I hope he sold it. <laughs> I hope this villain made a buck. But Thomas O'Malley, a detective with over 20 years on the police force, was assigned the case of the missing Monroe items. And he spent six and a half months tracking down clues and investigating who had stolen the items and where they were now. And the this pressure sounds was on. Like, this sounds like a Carmen Sandiego case. I know, right? Or, a, I mean, like a film noir, yeah. Marilyn Monroe style. Yeah, see, it says, and had a rented unit on the same floor of the storage facility as Anna. <laughs> Monroe's seven-year rich dress. Yeah, I seen it. It went to the island continent on the far side of the globe. <laughs> it used to be a penal colony for England. Where in the world is Marilyn Monroe's <laughs> white dress? <laughs> well, to uh, great work, Gumshoe. The detective. <laughs> the detective. My favorite quote from the detective is, "Not just for Anna's sake." Not just to do my job as a detective, but for Marilyn Monroe herself is why he's looking. The dress is a piece of movie history and a symbol of its sexiest star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's an old detective's <laughs> take on it. <laughs> but now we get to the pièce de résistance of the news segment. I think I probably said that right. Sure. Did I not? Ah, uh, it's fine. Wait, tell me. Correct me. I think it's just piece de résistance. Oh, I think that's how idiots say it. You're probably right. But you know how I said it? The way, like, tryhards incorrectly say it, probably. <laughs> tryhards being a noun? Yeah. You're a real tryhard? Yeah. <laughs> Did I coin that? I've never heard it. Is it coining anytime you make up a word <laughs> or use a word that doesn't exist? No. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> hey, Russ, have you heard yes, of a show called, a musical called New York Rock? No. Oh, that makes me so happy because I had a feeling I was going to bring this big fun discovery in and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, New York Rock, yeah. <laughs> I do not know. It's a pretty good wrestling version. Yeah. <laughs> it was a musical whose book, lyrics, and music were written by none other than Miss Yoko Ono. Get out of here. And went into production uh, just after, oh, no, I guess like a couple weeks after the Yoko. Wait, what did the Yoko Ono episode air? February, February 20th. A couple weeks later, her musical went up. Holy moly. So this is like a real, Yoko Ono is going to be with us like on this podcast, I feel like, tangentially. What? Did I mention at any point on this podcast that I once rode in an elevator with her? No. Yeah. When? I think it was 2004, 2005. Jen was interning at Manhattan Theater Club. Oh, that is the best place. I saw David Hyde Pierce there when I was rehearsing a reading once and I... My knees buckled. Yeah. And I was going up to 
visit Jen and I got in and after me walked Yoko Ono with a couple of other people and they were talking about I think the staging and the rights and the arrangement I think couldn't have been all of that but they were talking about the (laughs) the they were talking about some of the details yeah all you heard her say was was like fellas fellas one thing at a time (laughs) 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 this is a 15 minute elevator ride (laughs) they had time to move on four times Okay. Oh, we got the any, music settled any, next. Costumes. Any other questions? <laughs> but they were talking about the upcoming Broadway musical, uh, Lennon, which ah. had a very, very short run. Yeah, they were in the, pr- the early stages of production oh on gosh. Lennon. And uh, she got out of the elevator. I held the door open for her. She said, thank you. I said, you're welcome. What a bench. And then Yoko walked out of my life forever. And then you proceeded yeah. to tell Jen, I held the door open for Yoko Ono. I held the <laughs> door open for Yoko Ono. Pretty, <laughs> basically. Wow. Pretty neat. That is great. It was pretty cool. So this says, Yoko Ono, optimist, pessimist, writes a musical. She's every woman's worst nightmare. Her first two marriages ended in divorce. Her second husband took their daughter from her custody in 1970, and she never saw her again. I didn't know that. Her third husband was shot and killed in front of her. Her art was ridiculed for decades. Her music was reviled while her husband's was celebrated. She was also accused of single-handedly destroying the most popular music group of the century. Her greatest achievement, it would seem, came from the brainwashing that the third husband into marrying her came from brainwashing that third husband into marrying her in the first place. He was, in the end, a god. She was, all along, the devil. It appears she is every man's worst nightmare, too. Yoko Ono is 61 years old. She still lives in the Dakota, where Mark David Chapman killed John Lennon on December 8, 1980. Their son, Sean, 18, is now a freshman at Columbia. Lennon would have been 54. Please take your shoes off. We have a Japanese household, said Sam Havitoy, the interior designer. They didn't have Paul and Jamie take their shoes off, did they? They did not. Very interesting. She leads the way into what she calls the white room. (laughs) <laughs> which is true to its name piano walls couches floor to ceiling it's, re- it's really so neat. real yeah she's nervous she slept only four hours the previous night she says lighting a cigarette she's working hard on her new musical which is to open off broadway at the wpa theater which is gone now on march 30th it was on the west 23rd right by the water kind of i don't yeah. know if it was ever around when we were here i don't know she's very small about five feet maybe 100 pounds russ can you attest to that yeah she's a tiny person yeah <laughs> My secret is to have a very rough life and do everything under the sun you're not supposed to do, she says laughing. Like heroin, she stops laughing. Quote, I regret that now. She crosses her legs on the couch. (laughs) Feet bare, her heels thickly calloused. Quote, I guess it's partly genes. I went through macro and vegetarian, but we cheated a lot. Oh, this is, so this is where it gets, it kills me. The sudden transition to quote, we takes hold and stays. The biggest feeling that comes from this tiny person on the white couch is an almost physical loneliness for Mr. Lennon, as if his death were an amputation. She goes on to speak of him often in the present tense. Yada, yada, yada. Jesus, John. <laughs> I mean, you know what I, I mean? I'm not going to read the whole article. Sure. But it reminds me of Mel Brooks talking about his wife. Like, you can't talk about her, you know? Yeah. But I got into this musical a little. Guess who was... The musical director. Paul McCartney. <laughs> no, not Beatles related. Think about the time, the place. Tommy Tune. Oh, that's funny. No, that's a good guess. 
Jason Robert Brown. Isn't that weird? And his arrangements are complimented in the New York Times review, which did not like the musical so much. I'm not shocked by that. Jason Robert Brown does great stuff. He sure does. On your phone, you will find two tracks from this musical. One sung by her, and one sung, one's a cover by a guy who maybe you've heard of him. What's his name? Aaron Blackshear. Do you know who that is? No. Okay, well, someone named Aaron Blackshear is covering the second song. Well, let's listen to a little of each one. Because I want to hear your reaction, you know? Okay, here's the first one. Early in the morning, I feel my pillow. I listen to the soundless phone. My thighs are sweaty, freezing inside our bed. Empty as ever. What a bastard. You are leaving me all night, missing you. Did she say my thighs are sweating? She sure did. I've got a few notes. <laughs> you do it so good. Okay. Am I crazy? Oh, you can't stop. You see? Because it's so good. I haven't heard it yet. I'm listening. Oh, I didn't mean to li- You're going to listen to the whole track? That's fine. I didn't even listen to the whole track. There's a second track, just so you know. So this- Yeah, <laughs> things... It's... <laughs> I mean, I think that that's fine. Fine, he says. Yeah. The lyrics aren't very lyrical. That is true. But the music is so musical. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I didn't mean for that to make your comments sound as stupid as it did. (laughs) And yet here we are. (laughs) That was an accident. But, it's really funny. I guess, uh, you know, words speak louder than words sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> words do speak louder than words. Yeah, the music, I, I, uh, musically, I think it sounded very, very nice. But yeah. I think just... the frankness and bluntness of the lyrics, though, really, really, you know, I find it affecting. Okay. I can respect that. The name of that song, by the way, the name of that track. <laughs> what is... Yeah, what is it, Wolfman? Uh, <laughs> that's what that sounded like. No. Uh, <laughs> you're just you're just spinning spinning the tracks. The name of that track was uh one sec. <laughs> <laughs> I was John, I well here's something funny. <laughs> what a bastard the world is. Okay, great. I thought that it was called I was reading what you ti- what it was titled, what the MP3 on my phone is titled. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, that one is called Do Not Listen Until I Tell You To. <laughs> Oh, Aaron Blackshear played the lead. That makes sense. Oh, so the ne- the second track is the actor singing. Also, guess who else is in this, though? Who else? Jan Horvath. You know that name ring a bell? It does. Why? The original Christine from Phantom of the Opera. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, the second track is called, if I may. Let's see. I want to make sure I get this name or this uh, title correct. I felt like smashing my face in a clear glass window. Subtle. Let's see. (laughs) How dare you?
I like this. Right? Oh, yeah. Nothing wrong with this. It's great, isn't it? It actually almost feels like if the Ramones traveled back in time but didn't change their lyrics. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Her influence on John Lennon and his songwriting is very clear because once they got together, his, a lot of his stuff got a lot more specific and blunt. Right. And less... Can't think of the right word right now. That's okay. Less indirect, I guess. <laughs> more direct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. It didn't get more direct. It got well, you know less what, indirect. Those are two different What's things. That? Those are two different things. Yeah, thank you, you idiot. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely less indirect. <laughs> I think we should listen to this album sometime and do a mini-sode. I don't disagree. It's uh, like it. six bucks used on Amazon. Or 50 if you want it new. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know what? Used is just fine. <laughs> yeah, there's only 29 tracks, so I, th- I think we'll be good. <laughs> Holy cow. Also, there's a or, track you know called what? Where Do can... We Go From Here, which I have to assume is not the Avita song. Probably not. I'm like, can we skip through? Is this available in one-minute samples on iTunes? <laughs> no, I don't think it is. That may be the perfect way to handle this. <laughs> I was really enthralled by this music. Cool. Let's look into it. That's all the new. I, 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 hey, guess what, everyone? I brought some music stuff in once. You did great, bud. And you brought in a little weird culty fair. Yeah. It's like we're each other. We swapped. Yeah. We freaky frotted again. Well, that's all the news that's fit to print. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about the episode okay, then, shall so we? Okay, so cold open. Uh, uh, this episode was <laughs> written and directed <laughs> by whom, John? <laughs> we have another you David Lynch. You can't get me past me. Another episode of Twin Peaks. Directed by Dave Lynch himself, Tom Moore. All right. And it was written by Billy Grunfest. We haven't had him around in a while. Hey, yeah. welcome back, Billy. Welcome back, Billy. Founder of the uh, Comedy Cellar. Yes, sir. In Greenwich Village. Okay, so cold open. We are at the dining. The, the Comedy Cellar, home of that great famous table that everybody loves. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? Well, it's not where the, the comedian's table, and if you get the seat at the table, then you're oh, a real comic. Oh, is that a and thing? And also, we don't like women. Oh, I That's didn't know that. Yeah, it's not the best. Well, it's not featured in the uh, brilliant documentary Comedian starring Jerry Seinfeld. That is true. I thought you were also going to say, well, that epi- the Comedy Cellar table doesn't come up in this episode of Mad About You. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not you. That's something you would say to me. <laughs> That's true. Hey, Russ, let's talk about the show. <laughs> Go ahead. So Jamie is working out of her textbooks. Which, yes, I guess she got into grad school. I guess Maybe. she's been in grad school. Yeah. Okay. And Paul's eating a muffin. That story about the people in the apartment did the trick. Yeah. And now she's in grad school. Yeah. So this woman can write. <laughs> so Paul's eating a muffin and he says, can a lemon and a lemon muffin go bad? And Jamie tastes it. And she says, that's banana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And then that's it. He's like, no, I know this is banana, but I'm saying in general. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, well, I didn't write that down. That's the funniest part. Yeah, I like that part a lot. I only wrote down the setups for this, show, for this episode. <laughs> well, then we'll do great. Yeah. Or are you glad I didn't write punchlines? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the last one was soup. Yes. It felt breakfasty. 
Lots of eating. Lots of eating, because that's life, right? That's true. I guess. It really is. It is like what George says about the pilot he wants. What do you do? You eat. Yeah. <laughs> you read. Both of those things. It's almost like Mad About You took that as a mission statement. <laughs> What'd you do today? I got up. I came here. That's a show. That's a show. That's a show. Okay. So we go to the first scene. It's uh, later. That, it's that night. Paul and Jamie are getting ready. We've seen this before. We know when they're yep. headed out. They got the vests or the blouse, you know, whatever. The... <laughs> oh, they definitely have the vests. <laughs> or they've got their they've got their fancy vests on. Their fancy, yeah. These aren't just their kicking around they're the apartment going vests. out vests. Yeah, not their house vests. They're away vests. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's a weird shot. Did you find this shot disorienting? This deep shot of the walk-in closet that's between their bedroom and the living room? I wasn't disoriented, no, but I do realize that we don't see it very often. Not from that angle, especially. So we find out that the Stemples are picking up the Buckmans at 7 o'clock, which is like, that. even I'm overwhelmed. I don't feel good. Yeah, everyone's going out tonight. <laughs> and also amazing to me that they're picking each other up without the kids. Yeah, that seems like cruising for kind a of, Yeah, big time. So, of course, this is affecting the kids. Jamie wants Paul to wear the tie that her dad gave him, but he yep. objects because, quote, it has ducks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is valid. Sure. Paul wants to know how these plans happened. <laughs> and Jamie says both, both sets of parents called at once and she got sandwiched. Which I don't get. It, get. get it together. That's never happened before. Right. It's this like, happens... hey, second caller, I'll call you back. Yes. Or, because here's what happens... The way that I could see this happening is the trope of, you know, you beep over and you launch right into, so what time do you want to do dinner? Oh, dinner. We, I wasn't launch. even thinking about that, but I would love to do dinner. How's Tuesday? Sure. Tuesday sounds great. Paul's mom. How's Tuesday? My mom. Okay. That's not what happens. You say hello or you say, yeah, my back. Have I got you? Or you say, mom. <laughs> You say, am I back? Have I got you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rush you know used to teach a call waiting you... etiquette class in the 90s. <laughs> you know how when you come back from call waiting, you respond the way people do in movies when they travel through time? Have I got you? <laughs> am I back? <laughs> Marty, have I got you? <laughs> have I got you? <laughs> <laughs> It's my favorite quote. Oh, I love. Okay, so so Jamie's Jamie's bugging Paul about the tie. <laughs> so Paul comes back and asks Jamie if she's going to wear the pin that his mom got her. Yes, and she says it hurts her back. It hurts my back. I, I oh, you wouldn't know this. Oh, I'm pretty sure Russ. Yes, this is so irrelevant. No, it's relevant, but stupid. Who cares? Okay. I swear, there's an episode of the Dick Van Dyke Show. Mm-hmm. Where Rob Petrie's mom yes. buys Laura, Marilyn Tyler Moore, Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> Marilyn Tyler Moore. A gigantic brooch of the entire United States. And it's so big and heavy, and she never wants to wear it. <laughs> That's really funny. So trope alert. <laughs> heavy brooches. Mother-in-law is giving heavy brooches. <laughs> I've seen it before, 40 years prior. Yeah. One of those divided by 40 years. <laughs> tropes. Tropes. <laughs> Saw it again in 1910 on a vaudeville stage. <laughs> Rolled the brooch out on a cart. 
We'll see you soon in 2030 on <laughs> Big Bang Theory, probably. <laughs> oh, so this also was weird. So Jamie, we find out, made a reservation for Japanese. Yes. Which seems, what are you, like, Jamie, what are you, born, what, did you fall off a turnip truck? Insane. Do you know That's any a, of these people? A crazy call. I wouldn't even book sushi for Paul, necessarily. Yeah, no way. Let alone the parents. So Paul says his mom hates sushi. Why should she pay if they're not going to cook? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so then they pitch a few other restaurants, including Da Vinci's, which Paul hates because they give you balloons and they sing. <laughs> which also, very classy name for that kind of place. I missed that specific at this point the bal- about the balloons and the singing. Oh, because so we I got a little con- callback coming to it. Yeah, I was confused later. So I'm glad to have caught that. Ah, yeah. As they're headed out the door, they remind each other. They go sort of go over the, the ground rules for the conversations of the night. Right. Oh, and do me a favor. Don't, don't, you're not going to mention the blender thing, right? Oh, duh. <laughs> and you saw me call my aunt Salva, right? I know, I know, I know. If anybody mentions quitting my job, you I have to... I will steer the conversation straight to my dad's prostate. <laughs> oh, and do not mention that my sister went to the dentist. Why not? Just trust me on that. So what can we talk about? Just nothing. Just order and chew. Jimmy quitting job will be steered right to Bert's prostate. <laughs> <laughs> That's very silly. I like that a lot. Oh, and they can't mention Paul's sister going to the dentist. This must have bugged you, Russ, because they never refer to this again. That's true. It's another thing where it's like we have no idea what that means, and we never talk about it. Infuriating. Well, you know what? Unless later on we learn that Paul's sister has a huge dentist problem. Which I don't think we do. We'll see. I didn't think we would find anything out about Paul and the circus, and later on in this very episode, he's <laughs> drinking from a circus mug. So, who knows? Oh, my gosh. Okay, we'll get to that, because I didn't even notice that. I'm pretty sure it's in this episode. Their door goes off. It's the doorman, and he speaks. You could make it out, but it's sort of gibberish, which I love. And it makes me think of all the great doorman roles. Yeah. You got Carlton from Rhoda. Hi, it's your doorman, Carlton. (laughs) You got Manny from The Single Guy. Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine. Uh, You know what, John? Our shared love for the single guy is <laughs> I acknowledge that that is a bad show that people bad do not is remember. a little aggressive, but I'm just it's like, Oh, well, I'm like, Oh, well who could ever forget Manny from the single guy? <laughs> well, the sorry that... door, and I'm just like, Oh, well, except for us, you remember the role and the actor who played it. <laughs> Cause it's Ernest so, Fortnite. Is that some because schmuck? you, you love that show. Yeah, you had the you had the extended version of that theme song on a mix CD that you made for yourself, Russ. Oh, so chill out. Wait, how's the theme song go? It's just music, right? When you went high, you sounded like John Silverman humming. Oh, Russ, we're going to have to pay royalties on this. We're doing parody. (laughs) Oh, don't speak that way about your humming. (laughs) That led me down a little K-hole. Turns out... That one was called the Pringle Guy. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's about food. (laughs) Yeah, starring Joey Spudnik. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And, uh, oh, 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 come on. Jessica hashed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's oh, great. By the way. And, oh, oh, 
Come on, John. Oh, I'm not going anywhere until I get this. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> fries, French fries. Roast Ming Na Wen. Great. Perfect. <laughs> How many other characters could I... Uh, Ernest Borgnine, Jonathan Silverman, Ming Na Wen, Jessica <laughs> Joey Slotnick. I'll tell you one who you're forgetting. Yeah. And he came up last week. Yeah, he plays Ned, right? Was that Jessica Hex's husband's name? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Who was he? Do you know who he later went on to play? No. He was Duck on Mad Men. Yes, I do. I do. That's right. That's right. You may or may not remember that we spoke briefly I about sure Duck do. on Mad Men uh, yeah, last I week. Think I remember getting yelled at. <laughs> I don't know if can, Duck. That's the guy you were talking go about. back that far. Yeah. Yeah. In the course of the past week, I mentioned this to Jen. <laughs> I, I mentioned that to Jen, and she was just like, he was on the single guy. Oh, my God. Okay, well, full disclosure now. When we talked about Timothy Busfield last week, my first yeah. thought was Timothy Busfield from that kids' baseball movie, a league of, not a league of their own, Little Big League, which featured Jonathan Silverman from the single guy. <laughs> boy, oh, boy. <laughs> hey, all roads lead back there if you make them. <laughs> John, I'm so happy because just now I was just like, have we gotten into the episode yet? We have. And when Thank I realized God. that we had, I was delighted with our forward progress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to the next scene, and now it's after dinner. Oh, you know yes. what I wanted to tell you? It doesn't matter, but some people will be curious. Carlton, the doorman from Rhoda? Yes. CBS made an animated pilot <laughs> centered around that character. That is crazy. And it's on YouTube, and I almost became you. But I didn't. It's fun. <laughs> because I, I had too much it. stuff I had to do, and I was stressed out I, watching it. Go back and try it. <laughs> I might. It's a good time. So, it's after dinner. Paul and Jamie are come back in the house, and Paul's carrying balloons. <laughs> they went to the yes. Minchies. Obviously, they Miserable. had a blowout about the Japanese. And Jamie's holding one of my favorite trope alerts, an aluminum foil goose. Yeah. The, that's The way leftovers in, come on TV. Yes, absolutely. And presumably they, in life... I love that they say that basically all restaurants have a foil, a foil goose guy. Yeah, it's like balloon animals, but with foil. Yeah. <laughs> so phone rings, phone goes off, and it's Paul's mom, Mrs. Buckman. Your mother or mine? Yes, yours. Hello, ma. 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 I'm like a sheep, but with M's. Oh. Ma, 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 I'm like a sheep with M's killed me. I'm like a sheep with M's. Uh, so apparently Mrs. Stemple and Mrs. Buckman both wanted the scamby. Yes. But they only had one left. Yes. So Mrs. Buckman thought it was, who took it? Mrs. Buckman had it. Had it, and Mrs. Stemple I, thought it was rude. I believe that is correct, and yes, and Mrs. Stemple also offered it to Mrs. Buckman. Right. That's right. Being passive aggressive. And they're both upset. Yes. So Mrs. Stemple calls next, and she's, quote, bubbly, which mm -hmm. I guess is a red flag to both Paul and Jamie. Yes. Bubbly Jamie's Mrs. Stemple, no it. good. Right. And we find out from the one-sided fun call that <laughs> mom and <laughs> mom, she goes, mom, nobody calls for a payphone on the FDR because they had a good time. <laughs> that was so funny. She pulled over. So Jamie wants to eat her feelings. She wants more ice cream. Yeah. Well, she's just digging like into ice cream 
straight from the carton. Yeah, yes, yeah. which we've never seen her do. Right. And so then we find out. I really need more ice cream. You don't need more ice cream. I need something. There's frittata in the swan. Listen, there's frittata in the swan. I think tweeted us if this was a sticker, <laughs> would you put it on oh something? Oh my god. I yeah. think that is such a fun phrase from Paul. There's frittata in the swan. I think that's says. like a Hall of Famer. It's a good one. It's a it's very, very solid, one. Uh, especially in his voice. Oh. Also, I'm pretty disappointed that we've called it a goose so much by this point, knowing that it's a swan. Yeah, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could tell because <laughs> this aluminum swan. Oh, and then we get a never going to happen, my friend, out of Jamie. Out of Jamie. She flips the script yeah, on Yeah, she sure does about calling Paul's mom to apologize. Never going to happen. Which is also crazy, but I get it. He wants her to not only to apologize, but to encourage a communication, I think. Right. Jamie sees the problem with her mom, and Paul is saying, hey, why don't you tell her that? And that's just like, no, I'm not going to oh, tell her that's, that. Oh, that's all I see. Right. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie, Russ. I got a little confused during this episode about who did what. I'm not going to lie, John. I fell asleep during this episode <laughs> uh, because <laughs> I watched it very early in the morning and then rewatched it later. I got more out of it the second time. More on that later. Keep going. <laughs> oh, so Paul and Jamie are so distracted about their parents and being unable to open the swan that they forget to walk Murray, who we just get a shot of holding the leash in his mouth and whimpering. So cute. Yeah. Poor as we know, he's got some issues he's working out based on the TV Guide thing. Ugh. Yes. So we go to Buckman Studios, and there's a first phone repair a guy. Yeah, first time in a while. No other employees there. Just the phone repair guy who is played by Marty Rackham. Did this guy look familiar, Russ? Only in that he had a very generic face and appearance, and he looked like everybody to me. Well, maybe you would have recognized him if he was wearing... A very specific pair of glasses that Elaine ended up buying off a guy who found him in Indonesia so that she could get revenge on her ex-boyfriend. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this phone repair guy is played by the same actor who's Jake Jarmel from Seinfeld. My goodness. Okay. How small is the world? Yeah, I know. NBC hired the same guy twice, years apart. <laughs> <laughs> He and Paul have some playful banter back and forth about how Paul needs a new jack right. and how Paul's like, okay. And then he's like, well, you never want to be without a phone because of friends and family. And Paul's like, well, you know what? No rush. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. And that gets an okay laugh. No, that's a fun joke. Did this come back at all no. later? I'm noticing it now because you pointed it out. I'm thinking of it now because I'm just like... So many things don't come back. So many things are just um, conversation. I think I thought that oh, we're like, oh, we're getting to meet the repair guy. We're going to see more of him. Or the fact that he doesn't have the phone is going to play a bigger role. And I'm like, what was the point of this? I wonder if they just cut a scene maybe or... I don't know. Because you're right. It would be... Well, they, why'd they hire the guy even? Just for that scene? Just to cut... Yeah. Come in. Yeah. So uh, he, he... Yeah, because why, why is he there? I don't know. To install a new jack. Ugh. Remember that anyway. big plot point where the phone broke? An episode of <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, oh. Ira comes in. Huzzah. Yep. I never Yay. say huzzah. I'm tired. <laughs> Paul's mom. So he's holding a cake that Paul's mom gave him to give to Paul. 
That's so funny. And it turns out Ira knows everything that's going on. Yep. Mrs. Bachman told him everything. That's the way that these people do things. It sure is. And Paul's like, that's not just a cake. It's a message. It's a message. Like every middle-aged man's favorite reference, like Luca Brazzi. Luca Brazzi. What? This is cake. No, it's not cake. Then what is it's it? It's a message. <laughs> See, remember Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes? So what, they, what they're holding is a fish. But what they got was a message. Luca is dead. Luca Bratz. Right. All right. So here we're holding a cake. But the message is what? The message is I know that you like cake, and Jamie's mother is a peasant. It's, it's cake. No, no. And why does she involve you? Why? Because she knows you're going to take her side, because you, you find her amusing. I do. Yeah. You know what? Because she's your aunt. She's not your mother. See, your mother doesn't bother me. Now that, I don't get. What? I mean, my mother is impossible. Your mother, I adore. You know what it is? What? The grass. On other people's mothers is always greener. I didn't get. I assume Jamie's mother was a peasant maps to something in The Godfather? Probably. I don't know The Godfather well enough. I don't know well enough to get but, that joke. But also, yeah, I, I'm I not, bet our I'm listeners do. Yeah, I'll bet we'll hear about it. I hope so. I want to get to the bottom of it. Sweepstakes for us. Sweepstakes for us. Sweepstakes. What happens in The Godfather trilogy? <laughs> In one tweet. More sweepstakes. How about this? Hashtag mad about you, Godfather analogs. <laughs> he just used a lot of characters. Go for it. Yeah, go for it. Well, we've got 280 now. <laughs> That's true. The days true. of 140 are past. I don't like that. The grass on other people's I mother, don't like any of it. Mother's but... is always greener was a very weird line to me. I think that's a great line. It is. The grass on other people's mothers is always greener is a great line. So we go to the apartment. We go back to the apartment. Uh, And now Jamie is trying to get the swan open while Murray's sitting on the couch watching. (laughs) And Jamie talks to the swan and says, you're just going to feel a little bit of pressure. (laughs) A little pressure. That's so funny. And then she starts to break its neck. Yep. Uh, And Lisa comes in with a ton of shopping bags. Yeah. And I was like, when did they give you a key? Oh, this is a good question. To get rid of it. I get why, because she would ring the doorbell forever. Sure. For days. But still. But still, that's, that's not, a big move. And that's not the right kind of uh, reinforcement. That's positive reinforcement for negative behavior. Oh, that's true. Well, you do what you got to do. We find out Fran's coming over for dinner. Oh, yeah. What I wrote is Lisa just comes in now, like Kramer. <laughs> yes. So Jamie and Lisa's... Oh, yeah. Mrs. Stemple. Okay, their mom is taking Lisa, and only Lisa, to see Carousel. Mom's taking me to see Carousel. She said she was going to take me to see Carousel. Oh, well, that's when you were the good one. <laughs> so you spoke to her? Oh, yeah, we just had lunch. Um, we found this great all-you-can-eat shrimp place. Oh, perfect. <laughs> she also took me shopping. Hey, what do you think? Don't you see what she's doing? So what? I love when she's mad at you. <laughs> Remember the time she found out you lost your virginity? I got a toaster oven. If she's mad at me, why can't she just stop smiling and say it? Well, she did say it. She just said it to me. Hey, check this out. Pearls. I can't believe you let her manipulate you like this. She's not manipulating me. She's using me to manipulate you. Well, it's not going to work this time. You're right. Don't fall for it. I'm not. If I were you, I wouldn't even call her. I won't. Promise I really want to go to Europe. All you can eat shrimp place. It was there a fancy version of that in the 90s? Because I don't know, man. As far as I'm concerned, if it's bottomless shrimp, it can't be very good. It's not very good. Well, oh, 
I love the idea of all you can eat shrimp. I love the idea of all you can eat shrimp. And Jumbo that idea, shrimp. and that idea carries me throughout. So even even if it's crummy shrimp, it, it I'm did just like, too for me. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing like a big fat prawn dunked in cocktail sauce and a glass, a crystal like bowl. It's real good. Ugh. I wish you could eat the good. tails. I wish the tails tasted good. I eat the tails. <laughs> I do. Oh no, you don't. I do. It's gross. My brother did. He would, but not only you did sound he, like but Kramer. Oh, I eat the tails. I do. My brother used to, and he was just like, "Oh, the tail's the best part." Well, that's insane. And, and I was just like, "Oh, okay, the tail's the best part." So then I started, and I was just like, "That's fine." Are you sure he wasn't messing with you? No, he he would eat them. Also, are you sure you two don't think the tail is the fleshy part? <laughs> it's curled. Yeah. Well, yeah, shrimp heads are real fibrous and made of fingernail-like stuff. Okay, right? wow, gross. <laughs> I was doing the math, even though it doesn't matter. And then after I thought about it for too long, I felt weird. But when Jamie lost her virginity, Lisa got a toaster oven. I forgot okay. Lisa was the older sister. But I also was oh, like, so oh, she must have been older enough, old enough to need a toaster oven. Sure. I was trying to figure out if Jamie... <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's weird. You want to know how old Jamie was when she lost her? I don't want to know, but I feel You're like dying the, to know. the question's out You're there. You're so gross. Based on that joke, the question is there. I don't need an answer. Well, we've got Helen Hunt here, so. <laughs> I don't think she'll know. <laughs> and Lisa's trying to delay. Oh, she's trying. Lisa basically doesn't want this to get resolved because she wants to go to Europe. Because obviously right. she's maybe planning a trip. So we go uh, later in the apartment. It's dinner. A uh, friend's over for dinner. Right. And she's doing that thing that people do on sitcoms and movies everywhere. Where she's just like, I don't know what the big deal is. I get along fine with my mom. Sure. But then we find out it's because she moved her to Florida. Yeah. And Paul comes home with the cake. Yes. And this, uh, how does he refer to it this time around? The it's setup different. cake. The setup cake. And Fran says her mom makes setup cookies. <laughs> and then Jay, this is such a weird, funny moment to me. Jamie, like, has been folding a paper napkin, I guess, and she holds yes. it in front of Paul proudly and says, "Look, it's called a bird of paradise." Yeah, she's done a little bit of origami yeah. or, or or napkin folding. So the phone goes off. Fran gets it. It's Mrs. Buckman, and we get another great one-sided phone call with her. This is dynamite. I got it. Hello, Buckman Residence. It's Fran. Oh, hi, Mrs. Buckman. No, my husband hasn't come back to me yet. She wants to talk to you. Ask her if it's about Scampy. He wants to know if it's about Scampy. What tone? I'm not using a tone. You see? See that? She's wreaking havoc with other people now. Your mother was in labor for 26 hours? I had a, I had a very big head. Tell her I appreciated the accommodations back then. I am out now. And get over the scampi. Mrs. Buckman, hold on one second. I got another call. Oh, Paul appreciates the accommodations now. But he's out. This, this could be my favorite Fran moment of the series so far. Yes, same, I think. She is... So good and She's so funny. Dynamite. That's great. I was looking at Richard Kind stuff today. Do you know he how many episodes? There's 164 episodes of Mad About You. Uh, yeah. Do you know how many total episodes? Isn't that like Richard 20 Kind is in? something or 
30. I think it's 36. Yeah. I didn't realize. I didn't either. When, I thought we were going to get him back for can a I be lot honest, more Russ? than that. Yeah. I like this show. A big reason I wanted to do this podcast was because I was excited to talk about Richard about... Kind every week. Yeah. And I didn't realize he left at the end of season one. Of season one. Yeah. I also, I didn't realize he left the show at all. I mean, we should have both figured it out given Spin City. We should have. Yes. It's because we, we were kids when this was all happening and our brain, you know. Yep. I'm happy we're doing the podcast and I love the show. Yes. Yes. But <laughs> I really wanted this to be a Richard Kind thing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to tell you, I know. Yeah, so we really got to savor those remaining few episodes. <laughs> I'm not sure when he's back, but uh, we'll see. Oh, so Mrs. Stemple calls on call waiting and she's happy. So Jamie wants to call her back. You don't talk to yes. her when she's happy or bubbly. So Fran tries to help by telling Mrs. Buckman about how complimentary Mrs. Stemple was of her at this big barbecue oh that they all went to. And Mrs. Buckman was invited. So we, I mean, we all know where this is going. So Fran just starts, like, she becomes overwhelmed by the two of them and heads into the kitchen, yep. like, going out of her mind. It's it, so great. That whole performance is, I didn't play the whole thing because it takes minutes and minutes, but... Sure. It is, I think, one of her greatest moments on the show so far. It's fabulous. Then we get another beat of Murray. I wrote, who I've certainly forgotten about. Yeah, as you should have. He does not play a role in this episode of this show. Whoa, whoa I, see where, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> that's, that's really all I'm saying. <laughs> Russ is being passive-aggressive, everyone. You'll see why. <laughs> so Jamie, st Jamie just digs in. She starts to eat, and we find out that she blames Paul for all of this. I'm just going to eat. How can you eat at a time like this? Well, every time's a time like this since you recommended the scampi. I'm sorry? Forget it. No, what, what, what is that? What, are you blaming me for this now? Well, you're uh -huh. pushing it like nobody's business. Try the scampi. It's great scampi. You've never seen such scampi. They're shrimp the size of your nose. Well... I, I wanted everybody to enjoy their meal. You always want everybody to enjoy their meal. Every time we go to a restaurant, you have to recommend a dish. Why can't you just let people eat what they want? Why do you have to butt in? Why don't you just start a restaurant column and be done with it? <laughs> All right, well, you want to know the truth? The truth is we would never have to gone out in the first place if you didn't let our mothers tag team you on a damn call waiting. Oh, so this whole thing is my fault? Yeah, you're the one who wanted call waiting. I didn't want call waiting. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with a busy situation. That's because you don't have that many friends. I have plenty of friends, but I'm, I'm not so worried about getting back to them. I'm not like you. Oh, what if someone's trying to get us? What if they want to get us? They're trying to get us. Well, they got us, baby. You happy now? Paul's always got to butt in. Why don't you just start a restaurant column and be done with it? That's so funny. <laughs> What's our restaurant critic's name? Uh, Why can't I think of it? On the show? No, in our segment from the news. No, that's um, the cooking lady. Yes. Right? Yeah. I forget. Can flowers? Flowers? Something? Flower? No. Fancy Florence? Florence Flowers or something? Florence Fabricant. Florence Fabricant. That's right. Oh, my God. That's right. Good pull. What, what a life. We got to get I her have. on the pod. Oh, my gosh. You're right. That would be a real blast. That would be actually probably a huge get. It would be one of those <laughs> scenarios where we don't take it seriously. Get. And she's like a huge star to everyone that cooks. Oh my gosh! And we're like, so, so what do you what do you like to cook? So, 
Do you have any cooked eggs? <laughs> Do you ever read out? Hey, look, Florence, let me ask you something. No one ever asked you, but you ever read out? <laughs> oh, Florence, you ever see Thea? <laughs> I don't get I don't get it. That's a television show that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Thea? Oh, Thea! That's right. Thea. <laughs> That's right. And Paul also saying, well, they got us, baby. You ha- well, they got us, baby. Yeah. So we keep getting these shots of Murray throughout this segment where he's just sort of like whimpering and then he starts chasing his tail. Yeah. And then he walks into the closet like he's losing his, excuse me, the fridge, the clothes fridge. (laughs) He he walks into the clothes fridge. Like he's losing his mind. (laughs) We actually forgot to... (laughs) We forgot to discuss the monumental pole. Oh my god! Yeah, Adam Goodpazal. Yeah, friend thank of, you, f- friend of the Russ, Adam Goodpazal. Put together and a, also a friend a of the show. Yeah, set up a Twitter poll to determine whether what was that three episodes ago? Yeah, a little bit ago, whether a refrigerator was a closet for food or if a closet was a fridge for clothes. Now, full and, disclosure: uh, when I voted. I did click closet for food. <laughs> I voted, and full disclosure, I can't remember what I voted for or what I said in the episode. Oh, so. you definitely said closet <laughs> for food. The argument, though, to be you know to be clear, I, I, Adam's asking the tough questions, but the original issue, not not to keep this going for too much longer, right? But, you thought it was preposterous that someone would have an automatic light in their closet. Yes, correct. I disagree. And the poll was, <laughs> if anyone had it and or thought it was conceivable, which you disagreed with. But let's say if anyone has it. But the roving runner in Midtown texted us privately and said, uh, oh, I had it in the hotel I stayed at once. Yes, Gary Berard has experienced a closet with an automatic light. So I win. Next. Paul... <laughs> Oh, so we go to the next scene. It's the next day. Paul is trying. Now it's just Paul and Murray. It's a good old-fashioned two-hander scene. Paul's trying to get Murray to play ball in the living room. And Murray's just sitting there yes. on the floor depressed. And Very depressed. Paul tries to play fetch, and he says, go get the ball, Murray. And he rolls it into the bedroom. And almost immediately, Jamie comes enters the living room from the bedroom with the ball in her hand along with a laundry basket. And Paul goes to her, good girl. And it's adorable. <laughs> so then Paul starts commiserating with Murray the way he does, like he's his old pal. She's a big nutty nut. Yes, she is. Hey, this is really low. How do you do this? <laughs> wow. Come on, Murray. Do something. Want to get the mouse? Look, there he goes. There's the mouse. There's the, you don't get the mouse? This is really serious. He hasn't touched his food. Look at him. He's, he's laying. He's like a rug with organs. <laughs> Murray, go get the mouse. He doesn't want it. Murray, look. Go get the mouse. He ain't interested. Here it comes. Here it comes. <gasps> Murray, here comes the mouse. Here comes the mouse. Here comes the mouse. <laughs> the audience goes nuts about the, this is how, how do you do this? I love it. It's the best. I think it's why this show, I wrote so many moments on the show and we've said this before, they feel like in-the-moment discoveries. Right. And I know like a lot of like TV shows obviously often feel real, but there's something about like, it's like they're discovering something about life that has nothing to do with the plot or any, like it just feels so extra organic. 
It's really fun. And that's I think that's why it kills. Like, that is a big laugh for that. It's good. Oh, and then Paul describes the, the rug with organs line. <laughs> but then, I mean, because this clip goes all the way to that thud. So for people right. who don't couldn't figure out what was going on, I didn't mean that to sound pejorative, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but Jamie's pretending to be the mouse. <laughs> sort of like to chase the mouse for Murray. Yeah. And she... Runs into the bedroom and you just hear her hit the wall with her head the way Murray always does, and it is great. It's very great. Uh, you don't get a lot of Jamie slapstick. No, uh, she's seldom the dummy. Seldom. Again. Oh, no, I said that already. Okay. So Lisa comes in again <laughs> on her own, and she's dressed up for lunch at the Russian tea room. Yeah. With mom. She's going with mom. Paul's mom. Oops. Which is amazing and crazy. How'd you like to see that? How'd you like to be there for that? How'd you like to wait on that table? <laughs> I mean, I would actually love to see the scene because I think it would just be two narcissists, like both venting and both thinking the other one's listening. And they would be the greatest lunch of all time, probably, for both of you them. You think that's bad? You think that's bad? You think that's bad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So guess who calls? Dr. Azupian. <laughs> Their vet. I was I was gonna guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the vet wants to know Murray's last bowel movement. Listen to me. It's voice activated. His last bowel movement? Monday. Monday. Oh, can you believe this? Saturday. <laughs> That's a great bit. Oh, Lisa. <laughs> Lisa slays. <laughs> so Jamie, while this phone call's happening, Jamie is giving Lisa a tape recorder. That she wants Lisa to take to lunch with Mrs. Buckman. Oh my gosh, Russ. I'm realizing right now that that never comes up either. A lot of guns that Chekhov is just <laughs> moving around the set. He's an NRA member. <laughs> <laughs> that is so weird. You're right. Yeah, she wants Lisa to pull a Jerry Lewis at the lunch. Oh no, Jerry Lewis is when you leave the tape recorder and leave, right? I'm not positive. Isn't it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. She wants her to wear a wire, basically. Yeah. So Paul gets an immediate appointment at the vet. And that's and where Lin- we leave. And then Lisa said, no, snitches get stitches. <laughs> oh, I thought that was real for a second. No. And I laughed at it. <laughs> so he lies to Murray and tells him they're going to go to the park and play ball and get a hot dog. And Lisa's <laughs> offended at the notion of lying to Murray. Yeah. And she says it's like when Mrs. Stemple told her that they were going to see match game. And it was really... To remove her adenoids. <laughs> so Lisa sells them out as they're on the way out the door, which is horrible. Yeah. She goes, have a good time so at the vet. And then, yeah, Murray turns around and comes back in. Oh, Murray. So we go to the vet. Maybe the first time we've been in a doctor's office on a show, I feel like. Yeah, I think that could be right. Common sitcom setting, but not on this show. Not here. Two young, healthy uh, adults. Bucking trends. Indeed. The character of Dr. Arzupian is played by a man named Eric Avari. Yes. Did he look familiar? I've, he did. I can't tell you a single thing I've seen him in, but I know he, I've seen him in a million things. Is it possible that you saw him in the Adam Sandler Juggernaut, Mr. Deeds? Yes, 100%. Wait, really? Yes. That's that funny. is absolutely it. <laughs> well, okay, that's it. <laughs> Found it. Uh, he's also in The Mummy. Who does he play again? Cecil. Cecil Anderson. Yeah, I think... Yes, I think he's a butler. 
of some sort or something like oh, that. Oh, he's in the glass house. I've not seen that. That's that movie with, uh, what's her name? Lily Sobieski. Okay. And Diane Lane and Stellan Skarsgård. Cool. And Bruce Skateboard. What? <laughs> Stellan Skateboard? So he said. There's a wonderful episode of How Did This Get Made? Where they talk about the movie Deep Blue Sea. I can't remember how it happened. I think it was trying to write Stella, uh, Stellar Skarsgård. And their autocorrect changed it to Stellar Skateboard again and again and again. <laughs> oh, and so, someone updated it on Wikipedia, didn't they? Yeah, yes, they did. That's so funny. <laughs> and for the rest of the episode, they call him Stellar Skateboard. That's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this dude was also an Encino man. Played a character named Raji. Oh, cool. And then a million TV shows. Oh, including Party Down. I love Party Down. I have not seen that. I know I need to. Oh, you will go. You'll flip a lid. Yeah, I believe it. He also did a production of A Map of the World at the Public Theater. Great. I don't know that play. Do you? Okay. I do oh, not. it's a David Hare play. Oh. Look at that. What's the one that I know from of his? Is, Tracers? I, you know what's crazy? Is that what it's called? I literally just had this conversation with someone else within the last day, I think. Really? Yes. And I don't remember the name of the play. Hey, David Hare, you you should have given a more (laughs) memorable title to your most popular play. I'm trying to remember. Ving Rhames was in it with him. And this man, Mr. Eric Avari, played Aegeus. Oh, in what? Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, neat. The production where F. Murray Abraham played Bottom in the park. Okay. And, uh, oh, Bruce Norris played Demetrius. Yeah, oh, and Fisher Ste- Wait, what? Oh, there were many Demetriuses. Because Fisher Stevens also played Demetrius. Because it's a very old play? Wait, what? Oh, not play. <laughs> well, no, Demetrius, you're saying uh, this is in what? A Midsummer Night's Dream, right? No, but in this one production, I don't just mean yeah. in general. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. A lot of people have played this role. <laughs> Come to think of it, I played Demetrius once in college. Oh, whoa. Why aren't I on here? <laughs> so we have a Shakespearean actor on our hands, and I think we can feel it. David Hare, we're talking about The Blue Room. I remember that being oh, one of Oh, I his. remember that. That's a very, for those who don't know, very very blue play. Yes. Starring Nicole Kidman naked, I think, in, in London. You are correct. He also wrote the script for The Hours. Yep, these are all the ones we went through the other day when I talked about it. Stuff happens. He wrote a little that's while ago. That's the one about, I think. That's about the uh, the Iraq War, I believe. Oh, that's that can't be the one then. No, that's the one that my friend wanted to know the name of because they, but that's the one that they identified as like his big one. Gotcha. But you're right. That's to stuff about the new Iraq or the old Iraq. Uh, new. Oh yeah, that can't be it. I don't know, dude. Hey, does okay. <laughs> Russ. Yes, sir. <laughs> How is this podcast turned into you and me looking at David Ayer's Wikipedia page? We're so sorry, everyone. Back to the show. Great. So the doctor's theory is that Murray has emotional problems. <laughs> what? I'm just laughing at what you were just laughing at. All right. <laughs> the doctor thinks Murray's got emotional problems, and Jamie starts taking it personally like it's her kid or something. Yes. Because she's like, if the dog has emotional problems, then of course it's a reflection on me, which I get that, kind of. So then the doctor... I get feeling like that. I know I understand people yes, feeling like right. that. So yeah. then the doctor starts to inspect Paul. Have you been sleeping well? Yes. Eating healthy? I try. And when was your last? First thing this morning. 
So is Murray an only dog? Yes, yeah, so we thought about having another, but I just don't think we're ready. Oh. <laughs> That's a funny, subtle bit. Oh, Paul cutting him off? Yeah. First thing this morning. Yeah, the whole <laughs> game is fun. Is Murray your only dog? We thought about having another. The doctor's theory is like, Murray maybe just wandered off from home. And then we find out yeah. that he did. Yeah. And he had a collar when Paul found him in the park, and he called the number, and the guy said, keep him. And we also, Russ, you said this last week. You said, haven't we been learning a lot about all these women Paul dated all of a sudden? Yeah. And this is another one. Someone named yeah. Leslie. Yep. They come into his life. They go out of his life. Yeah. yeah. And we never hear, we never hear of them again. <laughs> so they go back and forth a little talking. They keep saying the word mother inadvertently. And every time they say it, Murray goes, yeah. And the doctor concludes that Murray must have some unresolved issues with his mom. Now, look. Yeah, here we go. (laughs) This is fine, and this is cute, and this is, this ties together with Paul and Jamie's respective mothers, and yeah. Okay. Which, great. Finish the story of Paul and Jamie's mother issues. Yeah. Because that's the thing. We totally lose that. And maybe we totally lose that because in reality, those things don't get resolved. It's just, oh, your mother annoyed me, my mother annoyed you, and the world keeps going. But that's the story, and I want to see the end of that story. I agree. I wonder if they thought the dog tie-in would be fun, and then they didn't realize how much pipe they'd have to lay to pull it off. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. This is the second episode of this episode. Yeah, it really is. And, and and that happens this week and last week to a lesser extent. Much lesser. They've, they've, you don't know the end of the sentence yet. Uh, <laughs> they, felt, <laughs> they, they felt almost like Simpsons episodes to me, where like the first act is completely different from what the rest of the episode is about. You know, it starts off with the family going to the zoo and then they meet somebody at the zoo and they wind up having to save the world. They find the from... letters pretty quickly in the first and last weeks. But the first thing that happens is about it's yes, the flood. Yes, you're right. You know, you'd think that it was going to be the hey, how do we get the flood solved? Right, right, right. And that's episode. the the A story because the B story. Yeah. Yeah. True. 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 Yeah. And Mad About You is going to run just as long as the Simpsons. So, <laughs> I feel good about that. So, we were back at the apartment and Paul and Jamie walk back in mid conversation. We sort of figure out that Jamie thinks Murray wants to reunite with his mom. So Jamie brings out the quote Murray box, which is a little box yes. of Murray keepsakes. This is sweet. Yeah, yeah. There's puppy teeth are in there. There's a hard rock onesie. Oh, there's a very corny joke in there that I loved. When Jamie, but Paul pulls out the dogs the certificate from dog school and he looks at it and he goes, How do you flunk sit? That's very funny. And then they find a collar with that's the collar, right? Yes. Of the original owners with the phone number of the original owner, right? Yes, correct. I don't get the assumption that the owner must have Murray's mom. I think they just wanted to call to find out, hey, here's uh, well, unless they knew that Murray's mom was owned by the owner. And also, why'd the owner just say keep him? I don't know. You know, we're saying it's an assumption. Maybe the owner said, keep him. I already have his mother. But if you ever need me, call me at this number. Isn't that a little, or I don't know. I guess people, when they have puppies, they try to get rid of them. But was Murray a puppy? I'll say at some point Murray was probably a puppy. (laughs) (laughs) The 
owner's name is Albert Arbant. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Um, so we go to Central Park, I think. It looked like Central Park. I believe you're right. And uh, they're at the Bite Me Bench near the Jesus and Janice water fountain. Yeah, that, that, that really got me. Also, it's funny because it's almost like Paul's commenting negatively on the park when it's like, you came from downtown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The owner. Oh, so Mr. Uh, Albert Urbant. <laughs> I love that name. It's a good one. Let me jump in to sidetrack us for a second. Oh, please. So just before this happened, yeah, I, I took a lot of these notes. The first time I watched this, <laughs> we began around, I began watching it around 1.30 in the morning. And at one point, Jen said to me, oh, we're about to see some great dog subtitle work. Did she just remember that? No, this is this is what she said as no, she knew it was going to happen because she knew that we were going to get a couple of dogs on screen and they're going to have a conversation with each other. She could sense oh, that she's coming. Oh, she just smart. Okay. Yes. I did not know why we were going to get that <laughs> because I had fallen asleep for at least the previous <laughs> 5 minutes of the episode. <laughs> so much happened. So she said, we're going to get some some dog subtitle jokes. And then I woke up again, and the dog subtitle jokes were happening because in between her saying, we're going to get these jokes, and the jokes happening, I nodded off again and took maybe a three-minute, uh, a one-and-a-half to two-minute oh micro Oh, my gosh. Then I rewatched it this morning and was much more astute and got it and enjoyed it a lot more. But my first thing, I was, so, this, so this morning, I'm watching it, and I was just like, oh, we're learning about Murray's backstory. Okay, yeah. That's why she knew that we were going to, okay, ooh, we are going to get some subtitles. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, uh, and they're so funny. <laughs> they're so funny. Oh, that's very funny. You fell asleep <laughs> at some critical points. I sure did. <laughs> so Albert Urbant comes in. Played by Alan Arbus. Alan Arbus. What was the character's name again? Al Albert Urbant. Albert Urbant. Alan Arbus. Yes. Alan Arbus. <laughs> this is a hard. It one. is very this, hard. This is genuinely difficult. It really is. I'm not even going to try right now. <laughs> He's from a million movies that I've never heard of, which I love. He just feels like an old character actor. Uh, he was born Absolutely. in New York City in 1918, and he died in, my... in 2013. Wow, 95 years old. Good long run. Yeah. Oh, he was on episode in my of Curb. Head, in my head, this guy looks like Burt Lancaster. What I'm trying to remember. In my head, he looked well. In this episode, at least, he looked just like Edward Albee to me. Or not yes. just like him, but there was such a strong vibe. Yeah, I hear you. It was weird. Oh, Edward Albee would have been so good on Curb. <laughs> Oh, guess who uh, this guy was, uh, what show this guy was also in? What show? He played Dr. Shulman in three episodes of Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. And two different episodes of Matlock. Whoa. Matlock was only on the air for three years? Impossible. 87 to 89. Wow. Oh, those are the range of are those... uh, years that of the episodes he was on. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and then he was on 12 episodes of MASH. Which I guess on MASH is probably not that many, but it seems like a lot to me. Major Sidney Friedman. 
Oh, wow, and MASH was only on for a season and a half. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, yeah. And then he did a couple Broadway things. He worked with Andre Gregory. Oh, great. He was in the show with Thoa Feldscher. Michael J. Pollard, he did the show. You know, okay, so fine. Cool. Yeah. Interesting little old character actor. Like him. Big fan. Anyway, to wrap things up, he calls Murray Swifty. That's Murray's old name, Swifty. I didn't like that at all. You don't like that name, or you don't like him calling a different name? That one. Okay. <laughs> Wait, that one meaning? The second one. Oh. <laughs> Swifty's a fine dog name. So then Murray meets his mom, Mona, who looks younger than him, but also I guess I don't know what dogs look like, so who cares what I think. <laughs> but didn't she look young? Yeah, I think you might be right. I, I think she I just was know, like smaller, you know. She was smaller, yes. She was wearing a halter. <laughs> <laughs> and she brought a gift. Oh, God. And yes. Paul goes, you're telling me she made kugel? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. So Mona had brought Marie meatloaf. Yes. Which also makes me feel like the owner's a little crazy. <laughs> 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 because obviously the owner cooked the meatloaf. <laughs> it is saying He's it's from the dog. having fun. Yeah. That's what dog people That's do. That's what dog people do. I understand. So Mona brings Murray the meatloaf, and then they go back and forth barking with subtitles. And the subtitles are, eat it. I made it for you. Now eat. And he's like, I'm not hungry. And she's like, you look thin to me. And he goes, but ma, ma. And she goes, seven years I haven't heard from you. And he goes, look, I've been busy. She goes, with what? And he goes, you know how it is. And she goes like, no, tell me how it is. I think you guys get it. It's Paul and his mom. Perfect. And then they sum it up with Paul going, so in other words, there's nothing you can do. (laughs) <laughs> Not because he can read the subtitles, just because they're barking at each other a lot. Right. Yeah, he can tell they're arguing. Yes. So then we get to the tag, and it's uh, all four of them on the couch, Paul, Jamie, and both dogs. Yes. We thought you want to know the part of Murray's mother was played by Murray's actual mother. Seriously, really, this, no kidding. This dog, <laughs> this dog is this dog's mother. So everything has been real on this show. Hello? Hello. Yes, hold on one second. It's your mother. Ask her if it's about the scampi. No, seriously, your real mother. My actual mother? Yes. I'm not here. <laughs> Do the tag. Where are you going to go? <laughs> talk to her. Talk to her. Mrs. Riser? No, no, no. I didn't write it. Yeah, funny. Super meta. Super meta. Super meta. The tag is very funny, I think. I think so, the too. Ta- Sorry, was... the button of the tag. Yes. I thought it was so neat that Maui's mother played Maui's mother. Yeah, I did, too. Not credited. Oh, no? Not in uh, IMDb, no. They neglected. Well, that's not. That's too bad. It is a shame. She's great. She wasn't bad. No, I'm sorry. She was good. She was really good, actually. <laughs> wow, I can't let her have that? No. Yeah, right? It's her only credit, John. Yeah. <laughs> no, she was great. They're a good Wonderful. team. Wonderful. Yeah, it's like a and real uh, enlightened situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know? What, oh, my What's gosh. her mom's name? What's Laura Dern's mom's name? I don't remember. I, you know, I never saw the show. Diane Ladd. No. Oh, yeah. Diane Ladd, right? I mean, Diane Ladd is an actress. Diane Lane is also an actress. I think I, everyone told me. I don't know. I guess it'd be like though a son with his mother. What's a famous mother-son acting duo? No such thing. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. It happened. 
we did it. We made it. It's one twenty <laughs> in the morning, which is the latest we've ever done one of these. We're sorry we looked at Wikipedia for so long. What? <laughs> you may not be able to tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and for uh, enjoying, if you did. <laughs> you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us there. 50 by 50. 50 ratings and reviews by episode 50. We're making it happen. Yeah, let's Help do us make it. it happen. Let's team up and you guys leave those reviews. <laughs> yeah, we've done our part. Uh, it's such a it's a thrill to get them and uh, it'll really help get the we're try we're we're sort of circling around to make that next big push to get this out there even further hopefully. Trying uh, to reach the people. Yeah. People Thanks want to talk about us. Mad About You. Thanks for helping us in advance. Yes, thank you. You can tweet at us at Mad About You Pod. You can tweet at me at Russ Fader, F-E-D-E-R. Uh, you can tweet at me uh, at Johnny Marbles, no H. And you can find us on Facebook. You can, uh, did I say tweet at us at Mad About You Pod? I don't know, but you did now well, for you sure. Well, you should do that. So, okay. You should, yeah, I definitely just said yeah. it. <laughs> And tweeted us at Mad About You Pod. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, do all of those things. We have theme music. It sounds like this. That was written and recorded by John D. Ivy. Thank you very much, sir. Nathan Diffie designed our logo. You can find him on Twitter at Nathan D I F F E E. Thank you, Nathan. And our um, uh, <laughs> sound was mixed. By Vuk Yovanovich. I got Fantastic. it. I forgot. I forgot how, what sound mixing is called. <laughs> Thank you so much, Vuk. John, want to go to bed? No, I got a, I got a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a great time, sir. We will uh, we will see you, Rise Guys and Rise Gals, again with something either maxi or probably mini very soon. Very fun terms. Yes, yes. Thanks for hanging out, Rise Guys and Rise Gals. We love you. You are the best. For now, I'm Russ Fader. And I'm uh, probably always going to be John Marbley. <laughs> and, and this, this is, is what, what we're saying. saying.